Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with us on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I also have an Instagram, I Love That Movie Podcast, and we've got a Patreon. Uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash I Love That Movie. Um, you know, the show is totally free. This is just a way to support the show if you want to, and I want to thank our top patrons who are Chris Balga, Jeff Widman, Michael Cross, and Joseph George. Thanks, guys. Shout out. Um, we've also got a Teespring if you want any swag, a Discord group if you like to chat, as well as a Facebook group. And if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. It helps new listeners find us. Um, and I'm done with all my plugs, so <laughs> now we can get on with the show. Um, I have a returning guest, a familiar voice that you've heard many times on the show. Uh, say hi to Scott from the DC Film Squadcast formerly the Suicide Squadcast. I know. I was here. We were talking about it before we started recording. It's like, I'm totally messing Lisa up. We changed the name after four <laughs> freaking years. And it's like, oh, no, everyone, what are they going to call us now? <laughs> At least it's an easy to say name. Yes. You know, DC Film Squadcast. I think that rolls right off the tongue and it's very applicable to your show. So I don't think it'll be too hard of a transition. Uh, you know, you just got those OG listeners that are like, why? <laughs> why don't do this to me? Um, so, Scott, you've been on a few times. Um, you've been on, we've talked about, man, to try to even remember all the stuff we've talked about. I actually can this... remember because I, I love okay. being on your show because I, I did Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Right. That then, was the first one. Then we did Casino Royale. Then I yes. really challenged you with the sinking detective. Yes. And then I, <laughs> that I, was the first one I was going to list because of that. <laughs> and then, uh, last time I was on for some like it hot. Yes. Oh, that was so fun. And I and uh, Nick made that clever little picture for us. Oh my god, that was <laughs> hilarious! I loved it. It was good. It was good. Well, Scott, uh, why don't you tell the listeners? I feel like most of my listeners, or at least a good chunk of them, are your listeners. But in case they haven't heard you before, uh, can you kind of introduce yourself a little bit? Well, of course. My name is Scott. I, you know, founder and co-host of the DC Film Squadcast podcast and the Squadcast Media Network, where we focus mainly on DC content, be it movies, TV, uh, you know, we've also got shows for the comic books and just general geek news in general. We have a Patreon as well. So I completely understand about, yes, we give you free content, but help us pay the bills. So <laughs> keep the lights on. Keep the That's lights on. Yes. <laughs> but um, 
I I have loved the idea of this show, which is why I keep on coming back. And it was so Good. funny because like <laughs> you asked like, hey, how about we do this movie this week? And I was like, well, okay then. This is <laughs> for once. It's not me begging to like. I gotta talk about a movie now, Lisa. <laughs> but I <laughs> well, ha- the last time we spoke to, I wrote down the ones that you wanted to talk about, and so that made it easy. Oh, so- absolutely. A, a tip for people out there, if you want to be on and you message me and I don't say yes right away, that that may just mean that I've got like a few lined up. But, you know, tell me what movie you want to keep. And if it hasn't been claimed, I usually just add it to a little list and then I come back. And sometimes people forget they even asked for that movie. And they're like, oh, OK, if you want to. And I'm like, what? You, you asked for this eight <laughs> months ago. <laughs> but um, go ahead. Yes. So I, I guess I'll go ahead and introduce the movie. Um Tonight we are talking about actually the best picture from 1964, My Fair Lady, because yes. I needed to talk about a musical. I've talked about <laughs> Batman. I'm I've shocked. talked about Bond. <laughs> I've talked about noir. I've talked about my favorite comedy. It was about time I freaking talked about a movie musical. I know, because I feel like you're a pretty big musical fan, right? Well, I was an actor. I actually, my, my little tidbit about me one of my undergrad degrees is in theater i went to college oh, that's for great the- so it's kind of a return i know you've talked about being in theater a lot yeah oh yeah so i i and i have a lot of personal connections to my fair lady in my oh, awesome in my career as a as an actor so it was when you when you messaged me it was like hey you finally want to do that my fair lady episode i was like heck yeah <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, I guess, uh, you know, go ahead and tell us when you first saw this film. I am going to have to say it's got to be kind of like my story with Some Like It Hot. It's that Mm. late middle school, high school era, because I remember the first time I watched it, I do believe I checked it out, the VHS from the library. You know, I just went to the musical section (laughs) and just was like, oh, my Fair Lady. That's a title you hear about all the time. You know, grab it yeah. and watch it. That's great. I wish I had a similar story, but as we talked about and you were surprised by, I have not seen this movie before. So this is my first time seeing it. Oh, this is going to be so much fun to talk about. Then. <laughs> There's a lot of musicals, honestly, I haven't seen because growing up, they weren't really my family's thing. Like, I don't think either one of my parents were particularly into musicals. And so I didn't have a lot of exposure to them. And I guess my friends around me didn't really watch them much either. So... I don't know. They just weren't in my, uh, they just weren't in my little, you know, library of stuff that I like. So I, I'm kind of discovering some of these classics later in life. So um, I say later in life. I guess late thirties. Um, <laughs> That's later in life. It's not fun. like I'm elderly, but um, but yeah. So I mean, I, I you know, it was fun to go back and watch go back and watch this and actually sit down and I mean again that's another reason why I really like doing this show is just because it gives me an opportunity to watch movies that people love so much um, that I might have missed so I think this is the second like Audrey Hepburn movie we've talked about so it is because listening to your breakfast at Tiffany's episode is what gave me the idea to want to talk about My Fair Lady because of uh, the interesting post-movie award season uh, drama that surrounds this movie. There are some 
mm-hmm. interesting stories about this movie. <laughs> yes, and we should get into some of that. I think before we continue, I'm going to go ahead and read the uh, synopsis really quick. Uh, in this beloved musical, pompous phonetics professor Henry Higgins is so sure of his abilities that he takes it upon himself to transform a cockney working class girl into someone who can pass for a cultured member of high society. His subjects turn out to be, or his subject, rather, turns out to be the lovely Eliza Doolittle, who agrees to speech lessons to improve her job prospects. Higgins and Eliza clash, then form an unlikely bond, one that, one that is threatened by an aristocratic suitor. Which is really funny because you, that suitor part is such a minor part of this movie. It's really funny <laughs> that they included it in I feel in like the it's plot. a throwaway line, like, oh, you know, to throw in, like, sort of what it's about. Yeah, because their conflict kind of comes from him but it's definitely more than that (laughs) oh so much more than that Mm -hmm. um so i had a couple of quick facts i'm sure you have a lot of facts too oh i'll I'll, I'll control myself (laughs) i'll limit no 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 do not control yourself this is the one time to lose control on the facts um but i will go ahead and read off a couple and if you want to chime in or add some of your own feel free to um, although playing a 19-year-old, Audrey Hepburn was actually 35 in real life. Jeremy Brett, who turned 30 during filming, was cast as 20-year-old Freddie um, Einsford Hill, so Hepburn would not seem too old by comparison. That's kind of cool. I didn't know. I, I didn't know that she looks really young. <laughs> well, she does look really young. I think I don't realize that she's supposed to be 19. Like that. Well, at that, the end of the movie, he says. Something about her being 21. And I was like, what? Twi- oh. And, and I kind of, it, like, it made me pause, like, 21? Because I thought she was a little older than that. But, yeah, go ahead. No, that that's just it, the idea of how young she really is. Especially considering that this musical, it, it, if people aren't aware, it's based on a play. The mm-hmm. And I don't mean the Broadway musical. I mean, the Broadway musical is a musicalized version of a play. Right, uh, right. Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw. So it's it, it's got this weird history, but yeah, that's incredible. Fun fact about Jeremy Brett: this was not the first time I had he played such a minor role in this movie, but this was not the first time I saw him. Oh, when was the first time you saw him? In my opinion, he's the greatest on-screen interpretation of Sherlock Holmes ever from the Granada television series. That they, uh, somebody in our group mentioned that. Oh, I think it might have been Michael Cross. <laughs> oh, I would believe Michael would know that. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I grew up watching his Sherlock Holmes on Mobile Masterpiece Mystery on PBS on Thursday nights. I loved him. So it was one of those moments where years later I watched My Fair Lady and go, well, blow me down. That's Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I don't think I've seen that version of Sherlock Holmes. I watched the Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce version. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Old school. <laughs> I, I used to. Yeah, I, I actually was such a big fan. I had a um, back before we could, you know, have screenshots and all these other things. I used to go to a store where you could print out like movie stills. And I had a movie still of Sherlock Holmes. 
uh, on my like binder. It made me pretty cool at school to have an old black and white Sherlock Holmes picture. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why I was picked on. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, but um, that's really cool. Since I am a Sherlock Holmes fan, I'm going to have to check that out if it's available anywhere. Um, I, I will be curious because I, I got the Blu-ray complete series box set. Oh, gosh. Okay, so it went on for that. So it's like a, a big set. Oh, yeah, Man, how like, do I not know about this? It's like five <laughs> seasons and and like four movies. Oh my gosh! Okay, well, I have. I guess I have some homework to do. <laughs> In between all the other things that I'm trying to catch up on watching. Oh, absolutely. What was your other fact? Uh, oh, the other one I had was uh, Walt Disney offered to delay filming on Mary Poppins, which came out in 1964, until the summer of 1964, so start filming then, if Dame Julie Andrews was cast as Eliza Doolittle. Andrews ended up winning Best Picture at the 37th Academy Awards for Mary Poppins, while Audrey Hepburn wasn't even nominated for this movie. Yes, that's the glorious drama, because... Julie Andrews originated the role of Eliza Doolittle right. on Broadway. She mm-hmm. was Eliza Doolittle. It was her big break. No. And And what's kind of Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say you know, when I was reading about, you know, them not getting along, <laughs> to put it mildly, um they were like, "Oh, you know, uh, Julie Andrews was going on and on and blah 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 and she just wouldn't let it go." And it's like, "I mean, this is a huge deal. <laughs> like I can I'm kind of on her side a little bit." What were you going to say? Oh, no, absolutely because the yeah. the incredible thing about My Fair Lady's a movie was it went on to win 8 Academy Awards. It won all the major awards except best actress. And well. then who wins best actress? <laughs> The person who you snubbed because she wasn't a movie star at the time. I just, I, you know, when you look at the awards, it's like best picture, best director, best actor, best this and that. And the one, the one very conspicuous missing one is best actress. And I'm just like, dang, that's like the shade right there. And I mean, you know, uh, don't want to take away anything from Audrey Hepburn's performance. She's a great actress. But, I mean, you know, all her singing is dubbed in this movie because she's not the singer that Julie Andrews is. And, I mean, I think, I don't know, I think that has a lot to do with it. Oh, no. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Actually, one of my fun facts is that the woman who was responsible for dubbing her singing, her name was Marnie Noxon. Famously, Mm -hmm. Marnie Noxon was responsible for dubbing Audrey Hepburn and My Fair Lady, uh, Vanessa Redgrave in Camelot, and Natalie Wood in West Side Story. Same. Wow. Yeah. She wrote a book a few years back called I Could Have Sang All Night. That was like her (laughs) memoir. That was her memoir as one of the most famous voices in Hollywood because there's a good chance that if you saw a major movie musical in the 1960s with some major star that was, but probably wasn't the major star singing. It was probably Marnie Noxon. Yeah. It's interesting. Studios still make decisions like that today, you know, where sometimes they don't, uh, their star power doesn't have the strongest voice. And like, after I read that fact, I went back on the, even though I just have a DVD um, I don't even have the Blu-ray. There isn't um, a Blu-ray. That's the weird thing. There's not? I no. thought there was an Amazon. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we talked about this a little bit. Um, 
I, I had trouble getting this film. I had to buy it. I could not stream it from anywhere. And Scott and I are wondering if there's some kind of distribution hell this movie is stuck in or what's going on. Because that's crazy. Not even a Blu-ray. I know. The thing is that it is a Warner Brothers movie. But, I, the, but, the, but the DVD that I own, which, I mean, it's the same one I've owned since, like, the 90s, is distributed by CBS Video. So I'm wondering mm. if there's some hang-up with CBS yeah. as the video, as CBS video as the uh, distributor, uh, because the DVD was actually a big deal when it came out because you get Marnie Noxon on the commentary track. So you get to wow. hear her tell stories along with some alternate takes where you actually hear Audrey Hepburn singing a couple of the songs. Cause Audrey that's Hep- actually what I was about to say is that I, after reading this fact, I went back and listened to her tracks, which were, not great. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I've listened so, to them too. So, good decision there. <laughs> yeah. And the cool thing about the DVD restoration versus the VHS is that they actually included some material that gets cut out of uh, the VHS. Like when it goes to intermit oh. when it goes to intermission right before they leave for the you know as they're leaving for the embassy ball, the entracht, which of course is that part in a musical where Hey, Act Two is about to begin. We're gonna play a long melody of music to give you a chance to get back in your seat. Uh, mm-hmm. That was removed from the VHS uh, recording and was restored for the DVD. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, even the like the VHS that I got, which was not like a collector's edition or anything like that. It had quite a few features on there that I watched, and yeah, like like I was saying, I listened to the to the raw songs, and it you know it was like I hate to say that, but it was a good decision to go with a different singer, but um, but yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff that's on there. So even though it's not in Blu-ray, I would say go ahead and purchase it. <laughs> I mean, I just I just it, it hurts my heart that you know yeah more people it won freaking Best Picture. You should so be strange. able to buy yeah. this movie. Um, I know. I, interesting enough, another fun fact, uh, going along with the fact that Julie Andrews does not appear in this movie, uh, two of the original cast members from the Broadway show do appear in the film. Yep. I think that was, like, the reason why she was so angry. Like, the lead, you know, um, gets to be in it and she doesn't. I know. Rex Harrison gets to reprise his role as Professor Henry Higgins, and Stanley Holloway gets to reprise his role as Eliza's father, Alfred P. Doolittle. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah. I. He did I, a great job. <laughs> I have the original, of course, I would have the original cast album for the, for the Broadway musical. And oh, it, that's great. So it's fun getting to compare how does the music sound on the from the Broadway version compared to the movie version, because they're always different. You know, and another thing, like I said before, is for people who don't know, this is, this has got a weird history where this play is originally based on a play by George Bernard Shaw called Pygmalion. When Alan J. Lerner and Frederick Lowe turned it into a Broadway musical, they basically just took Bernard Shaw's script, added a few extra scenes, and threw songs in to where a lot of the dialogue that you have in the speaking portions of the play, of the musical, are straight up almost word for word from George Bernard Shaw's original play. Wow, that's interesting. 
yeah. didn't realize that. I guess it just really naturally fit into the formula of a musical. <laughs> yeah, and that's something that Alan J. Lerner and Frederick Lowe, who I actually knew first because I fell in love with Camelot, uh, which was mm. a musical that also starred Julie Andrews as as Guinevere. You know, a, a couple, you know, uh, a couple of years later on Broadway. And so I kind of fell in love with their style because they definitely have what's called the book musical. And you mm. define a book musical as in if you stripped all the songs out, it could still work as a play by itself. Oh, okay. I haven't heard that, but that makes sense. There's definitely some musicals that do not. <laughs> so so that's interesting. Yeah. And so I, I love musicals like My Fair Lady. That are, yeah, they're like a complete package. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the last little fact factoid that I had was uh, when Eliza Doolittle demands to see what Professor Higgins has been writing about her in the beginning of the movie, he shows her his notebook, which she could not read. Uh, the notation in the notebook is visible speech, a phonetic notation invented by Alexander Melville Bell, uh, father of Alexander Graham Bell, and extended and used heavily by Henry Sweet, a real-life uh, phoneticist. <laughs> Phonetist. Now I'm having trouble, like, <laughs> like Eliza Doolittle. <laughs> I can't say this word. In Hartford, phoneticist. <laughs> We're gonna go with phoneticist. I don't know. Yeah. You guys figured out. And apparently, the basis of the Professor Higgins character. Yes, I did. And I could I... use his help, actually, if you <laughs> help me with that. <laughs> like... I had heard that actually, because the play is written in like the early. Like the like the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds period. Yeah, I read like maybe nineteen twelve or maybe earlier, like pretty early. Yeah, right, because they they talk about the king in the play, and that's yeah, supposed to be King Ed, that. that's supposed to be King Edward, who is Elizabeth the mm. grandfather. Okay, yeah, and I also just thought it was that the character was funny. And uh, the fact that he had all those little contraptions, it kind of spoke to that must be a while ago. And that he, it's a little like his pr profession is like a little nutty. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, we already talked about all the Oscars this movie won. So I think we should move on to the director, um, George Cukor, um, who directed 10 films nominated for Best Picture. Although a couple of them are kind of like... He was involved, didn't 100% direct, but he directed movies like One Hour With You, Little Women, David Copperfield, Romeo and Juliet, uh, The Wizard of Oz Unaccredited. He helped on that a lot with the aesthetic of it. I don't know how much of it he actually directed. Uh, Gone with the Wind, Unaccredited, came in when the other director, I think, was fired. Uh, Philadelphia Story, Gaslight, uh, where... That's where the term gaslight actually comes from, that movie. Um, Born Yesterday and My Fair Lady. Wow. That is not a shabby resume. You, you have to uh, admit. No. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. I think he, uh, let's see. So he was nominated for all those, and then he won with My Fair Lady. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. some of those I could see not winning. Like, they're not... Yeah. They're not best picture movies but there's that doesn't mean they're not damn good movies <laughs> right are do, are you familiar with with some of those films i mean obviously everyone's seen wizard of oz and gone with the wind but and, any and, of the other ones <laughs> oh and uh gaslight and uh what was the one you mentioned before gaslight 
The Philadelphia Story. Oh, I love The Philadelphia Story because it got okay. turned into a musical that I love called High Society <laughs> with Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra. So, you know, it's just you give me a, you give me a musical or something that was turned into a musical. Yeah, I've probably seen it. That's awesome. There's I need I've never seen Gaslight, so I have to see that. <laughs> oh, Ingrid Bergman. Oh, so good. It it keeps coming up like every time I log into like iTunes. Like sometimes I'm just like I just want to watch a movie. I don't know what, and I've exhausted looking through Netflix and everything else. So I just go to iTunes and see kind of what's on sale. That's why I watched The Big Sleep the other night. Uh, you could rent it for like two ninety nine. So I'm like, oh, I'll just watch that. You know, this kind of like there's all these films that you can watch at any time. So um, I need to go on there and do that. That one keeps coming up, and I I keep not watching it. But um. Well, I, I think we could talk about the cast, too, but I feel like we've already talked about Audrey Hepburn and Rex Harrison a little bit, um, but let's talk about them while we talk about the movie. What do you think? Absolutely. Okay. Because I the funny thing I find about Rex Harrison is the fact that this man ever had a career in musicals. It, it, <laughs> I know, he can't sing. No, he, it is actually a proven fact. He had a two-note range. I mean, yeah, it's like he's just talking. He's like Johnny Cashing it through these songs. Well, that's <laughs> actually a style of sing. It's called talk sing, or or they're called mm-hmm. patter songs, and that is actually a format that Alan J. Lerner and Frederick Lowe used to great effect uh, in Camelot in the original Broadway version. Richard Burton played King Arthur, and mm. that's what happens is because their musicals are so heavy on the script. They would rather go for great actors. And so they wrote songs that the great actors could just talk their way through. So they could. That makes sense. So they could get the stronger acting performances and not require a lot of them as far as the singing goes, which is usually why all the singing kind of lands on the female lead. Right. Well, it won him three Tony Awards, so it must have worked. Oh, you better believe it. And, of course, he was famously in the original movie version of Dr. Doolittle. That's how I remembered him. Like, when I was watching this movie, I was like, man, he seems so familiar. And then when I realized that that's what he was from, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's how I know him. Um, he also, I had a couple quick facts about him. He once punched Frank Sinatra in the jaw, thinking the singer was hitting on his wife, Lily Palmer. But afterwards, the two men became friends. Yep. So, kind of a character. Oh, my God. He <laughs> is. He, I get the sense that he's about, I got the sense that he's about as pompous as he comes across as in the movies. I heard, I don't know if this is true, but that uh, they were thinking about replacing his character as well in the movie. And in response, uh, you know, he was told to come in an audition and he was like, I don't audition. And he sent like pictures of himself in the buff to the director as a response. Oh, oh wow. He was like, he must have. He must have liked them. I got hired. <laughs> this is from like a memoir or something. So who knows if it's true, but I thought that was in- interesting. Um, the only other thing I had too about him was that Chuck Jones had stated that Bugs Bunny was a character based on a, you know, mix of Rex Harrison, Dorothy Parker, and, uh, D'Artham. Oh, wow. That is, that, that's, that's a fun little story. But yeah, I, I kind of had this weird <laughs> thing with Rex Harrison. Uh, I've always meant to watch a movie he was in called The Ghost of Mrs. M- Mrs. Muir, where he plays mm. the ghost. It's an old black and white huh. movie. And I'm sure that's entertaining. <laughs> I'm sure. 
But, you know, he just has always played a pompous ass, and so I just kind of feel like it yeah. has to come naturally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it comes from somewhere, that's for sure. Uh, well, do you want to talk about some of your favorite scenes? Oh, my God. It, it's one of those movies where almost every scene is a favorite scene because I know, it's as, hard. I, as I watched the movie again, I did that thing where it's like, I honestly cannot, when I rewatch the movie for to get ready for this podcast, I have to ashamedly say, I cannot tell you the last time I actually watched the movie. It's been a while. <laughs> and yet it's one of those movies that as soon as it starts playing, I start quoting and singing along. Like, Aww, I know this great. movie so well, I can tell you the dialogue. Plus the fact <laughs> that I actually won a, I was in a student drama competition in Alabama and got an award for a scene I performed from Pygmalion playing Henry Higgins. That's great. I could totally see you playing that. Oh my God, yes. Uh, that's kind of like, like the role you were born to play, <laughs> but not in the pompous way, but just in the fun like lively way. Oh no, fathers and villains. That was my that was my butter in in high school. <laughs> fathers and villains. Uh, but yeah, That's it's the great. scene right after the embassy, uh, where she throws his slippers at him, and that whole thing that you know, that whole great antagonistic you know fight they finally have, where it's where Eliza finally lets him have it. And yes, uh, that was the scene we performed. So that's so great. That was a satisfying scene, too, because I mean, you know, the, his character, you could kind of read as I mean, he's terrible. I mean, but the movie is aware of that and the characters are aware of it. everyone's aware of that except him. And so when he gets his comeuppance in that scene, it's just really satisfying. <laughs> no, it really is, because of course I loved it because I was in high school and I got to be like, damn the coffee, damn Mrs. Pierce, damn the slippers and damn you. You know, it's just, it's... <laughs> You're like, I used to say damn like three times. I know. It's awesome. I'm in <laughs> high school. I'm a sophomore and I get to say damn like four times in a row. It's amazing. What a wild high school experience you had. <laughs> oh my God. I was such a nerd. But um, I do love that scene because it is one of those incredibly real moments between the two characters. And Yeah. And especially after they Pickering and Higgins have just finished singing that horribly horribly self-righteous song of oh yeah of you did you know <laughs> tonight oh man you did it you did it you did it and it's all about you higgins you did it congratulations to you and the whole time you're just watching eliza in the background completely brokenhearted because she was like i'm the one who did all the freaking work <laughs> yeah and i and i like that she gets that moment later you know i mean it's obvious but at the same time it's like i don't know like in some in some movies she might not have gotten that you know what i mean yeah and i think and like you said it, it's kind of nice that in a movie from the early 60s and a play from the fifth and a musical from the 50s based on a play from like the early 1900s like this is consistent for her character like she yeah i mean george bernard shaw wrote her in a way i mean the play was a, a a criticism and a satire of of class, and right. and it's just great that no matter you know going from being a play to turning into a musical comedy, it's kind of weird to call this a musical comedy because it has so much drama in it. 
Right. And just the idea, you know, like in the beginning of the story, you know, uh, Higgins is, you know, talking about Eliza all the time, like she's not even in the room as though her having like a different dialect from his indicates that she is just completely unintelligent and can't even like comprehend what he's saying. And so at the end, when she's, you know, really letting him have it, it's like, no, I'm just sitting here quietly because I have to. But since I don't anymore, here we go. And it's like just such a fun moment. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I think it's really great. I, I, for as much as the plot of this play and this musical have been rehashed, I still remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I'm wondering if you're thinking about the same movie that I'm thinking about right now. You know, I know we are. <laughs> OK, <laughs> go ahead. She's all that. Oh, no. Well, yeah, actually, you know what? I wasn't. I'm going to say what I was saying was going to say in a minute. But it's funny you say that because when we were watching it, Nick out loud said, is this like the first she's all that? <laughs> I was I just looked at him. I'm like, what? And he goes, remember, that's what happens in that movie. And he explained the plot. And I go, oh, yeah, it did. (laughs) Which one were you thinking of? I just have to know. Well, so, okay, uh, I always I associate this movie with Kingsman because of that line uh, where Eggsy where where, uh, what's his name? Colin first character is explaining to Eggsy. Um, that he's going to like mold him and shape him and turn him into something else. And he's like, you know, like pretty woman. And he goes, oh, I haven't seen it. And he's like, oh, like thinking, oh, he's too young to have seen that. And he goes, and he explains a little more and he goes, oh, like my fair lady. <laughs> oh, that's And he's right. like, and he kind of looks at him and he's like, you, you've seen that? <laughs> it's like he didn't get the reference he thought he would have. I he got yeah. the original. I love that. Anyway. And, and you know what? I almost forgot about pretty woman too. That's, that's an, that's a, that's a my fair lady story. Absolutely. Yeah, I think probably, I mean, you know, She's All That came out when I was like a teenager, so that one is probably the one I should associate with more, but I do think of Pretty Woman first, because that's like the, you know, I feel like that's even more directly like this movie, but it's yeah. It's very, very much so, very much so. And, yeah. and even, because it's really weird to go back and watch this musical now that I'm a little bit older and kind of mm-hmm. get some of the sly induendo. Especially yeah. with Alfred, about what mm-hmm. everyone thinks is going on in that house. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> and I think I got some of it. I mean, I was high schooler at the time, but I got even more this time around. Like, whoa, they were really like, they were like, we really want to slyly state what we think is going on in this house. Yeah, I mean, it's very scandalous for that time for, like, a woman to be in the house with two men that aren't married, like, you know. And the fact of where she comes from, too, it's like, eh, people would be talking. But they're, like, so rich that, you know. Exactly. They probably wouldn't say a whole lot. No, it's kinda, <laughs> Out loud, at least. Well, it's really funny is that, you know, you get all this talk, like, you almost get this sense that as for much as the upper class is kind of supposed to be, like, the stuffy, prudish versions you almost get the sense that there's almost more morality with the lower classes than there is with the upper class except for that i love oh go ahead no go ahead (laughs) i was gonna say i love the the dad's reasoning and stuff and that was really a good part and then when uh higgins like goes you know what you should like call this friend of mine and i'm gonna let him know that you're like a you know philosopher and stuff like that and that like really pays off for him later i think kind of speaks to what you're saying (laughs) exactly why i love alfred's line of middle class morality can't afford it 
<laughs> yeah, I, I really like that because that's kind of an idea that, you know, it, I mean, I, I don't think is super popular then. So it's just funny. Well, I think it all comes to the fact that if people aren't aware, George Bernard Shaw, who wrote the original play, he was an English socialist. He was buddies with H.G. Wells. So I can totally yeah. see that coming from his philosophy. You know, it's just like I said, I think it's just funny that they were able to kind of, well, maybe transforming it into more of a fun version of it for the musical comedy but they retained sort of that satire that originally existed in the play right right yeah there's always kind of a little bit of you know at least a hint of what what people believe or think in their work so that's it's interesting to see that but um yeah really enjoyed all those scenes with the dad so okay so (laughs) i have to ask it is a musical it was your first Mm -hmm. time and of course, a big thing about musicals are songs. Did you, uh-huh. did you? I'm going to turn this around. Did you, Lisa? Did you have any particular favorite <sighs> songs in the movie? Oh, I oh the pressure's on. Oh my gosh. Um, I'd have to see like a list of them just to make sure I say the right song. Well, okay. Um, did you just you, you could tell me what the song was or what was going on? I can trust me. I can supply you with the name of the song. That ain't going to be a problem for me. Okay. Well, I you know, I did like I could have danced all night if I'm oh. honest. I just like the way that that plays out in in the in the story and just all of it. I just really liked it. Oh my god. No, this this is one of those musicals that I will sing along with the girl songs. I don't care because they're just so <laughs> good. And I mean, how can you not love I could have danced all night? It is such yeah. a it is such a beautiful song. And it's also just her I'm not sure if you interpreted it this way. I, I think some people try to interpret it like this is when she's kind of falling for Higgins, but I really see it as this is the first time she's really accomplished something in her life. And someone yeah. and someone acknowledged her accomplishment. And Right. I no, I agree. Yeah. I, I, I always wonder how people interpret what's going on in that song. Yeah. I will say like her falling for him. Feels like a little bit abrupt, but I think maybe just under like a modern lens in ter- in terms of like how stories on film are told now. You know what I mean? Like I feel like in in movies now, a romantic buildup is more in the forefront than it is in this movie. And so I feel like when she falls in love with him, I don't know. It's almost like it's second to her accomplishments, which I guess they kind of frame it that way anyway. But you don't. I don't see like a ton of connection until. The very very end, right? Well, that's also because that's not in the play. That's that's something that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's something invented for the musical. Mm, it felt that way then. I didn't want to like criticize it or anything. Uh, oh um, no no no! Let, but, let's but call us let's call a spade that. a spade. No, <laughs> that was inv- that was invented for the musical. As a matter of fact, George, the, the the play ends so on such a down note or so open-ended mm. that when you buy a copy of Pygmalion in a bookstore, George Bernard Shaw like wrote a little epilogue short story about how Eliza got together with Freddie and then life was terrible. Like he like That's l- awful. Oh my God. It's it's this <laughs> whole thing. I I almost felt like Freddie was like a good match just because he seemed to really like her and he knew she was poor. Like I didn't really understand why that was so bad if she ended up with Freddie, but at the same time, 
we got to know uh harrison so much more it would be weird if she went with him in the end i guess yeah and even then it's just this weird especially after that scene at um mrs mrs hill's house where she oh yeah where she i mean kudos to mrs hill for like like standing up standing up for eliza and telling her son what a piece of trash she is (laughs) (laughs) that's true i kind of forgot about that scene um but yeah it's it's weird but yeah the romance is really especially when you bring up the fact that like eliza's supposed to be 19 like that's just kind of like whoa right you're like dang that's an age difference but i mean it was a while ago exactly (laughs) it's probably a little more less weird back then uh but yeah, yeah, it does. It just, I mean, because I could, I could imagine the movie ending with just like he grew her and then respected her and that's it. But I do feel like back then, especially in Hollywood, you know, people would really expect them to get together. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. but yeah, totally tacked on. That that doesn't that doesn't <laughs> exist. Okay, <laughs> I feel better about that observation now. Then yeah, um, I you know you mentioned the singing. Uh, oh well, which song was your favorite? Oh, I have. I have several. I have to admit, I won an audition singing Get Me to the Church on Time. Oh, I, lo- I like that musical number. That was oh, good. it's it's I mean, because Alfred is just a fun character. And he really is. And and I cannot tell you how many times uh, when our when our mutual friend Tim from Academy Rewind, when, when he got he got married in the past year, I said mm-hmm. I just tweeted him saying, if this is not playing in your car, you know. <laughs> tonight you have failed i'm That's sorry hilarious. Um, i love that one i do enjoy higgins last number i've grown accustomed to her face i mean oh yeah it's so self-deceptive right it's like it's it's so fun i find it's that such a fun song where he's uh you know it's like this is what infuriates her but i kind of got used to her you know it's just I, the, the back and forth and yeah, it, I really feel like they build up on the banter. That's how they connect. That's something that they both have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then just for the fun of it, I love the very first song, Why Can't the English? I just, I don't know. It must be something, <laughs> the fact that I became an English teacher, that I just, I love the fact that the guy's saying, why can't the English learn their own language? You know, it's, <laughs> especially with that funny line, you know, there are some places where English has disappeared entirely. I've heard in America they haven't spoken it for years. <laughs> I don't know. And when it gets that, like, that British, when when this musical is firing on cylinders, it's when it's really playing off that dry British wit kind of humor. And yeah, I think absolutely. that's why, even though Rex Harrison as Henry Higgins is supposed to be a complete ass, he's funny. Because yeah, he, he's charming. He's charming. He's funny. And like you said, the movie's aware he's an ass. Like, that's yeah. the point. I usually tend to like characters like that more if there's that, like, sort of fourth wall observation of they're an ass and they're going to get it soon. <laughs> it's like it makes it easier to, to, to digest them a little bit. Well, it's because you realize that the movie's not condoning what they're doing. The movie is pointing right, at them going, right. no, this is wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, too, when you when you asked me earlier which songs I liked, I will tell you I was very distracted by the fashion. So the songs sort of took a back seat for me to all the dresses everybody was wearing and the hats. I just 
really enjoyed that. So, <laughs> you know um, me. What was your favorite? Um, what were some yeah. of your favorites? Because yeah, there's a lot of wonderful oh, wardrobe. She in has this movie. a lot of outfits. I think when, when I was watching the behind the scenes, they said they made like a thousand dresses. Of course, that was dressing everyone, but that's surprising too. Like in the scene where they go to the race, um, you know. They're, everyone's dressed uh, color-coded black and white, and um, every single person's outfit is just so done up that it's like, man, they had to make all those outfits? I mean, it's hard to pick one, but honestly, probably the iconic one that you see, the, the big hat and the, you know, the white and red, or white and black, sorry, stripes. That's probably the one that's my favorite. Oh, that's the one that's on the DVD cover. I mean, come on. The mm-hmm. the at the, the the ascot dress, you know. Yeah, there, there was like a that everyone who's here is here, you know. But it had the <laughs> stupid size affection. I can actually sing that song. But I hate that song. <laughs> I'm just so bored by it, but yet I have to laugh at it because the lyrics are saying about how we've never been so keyed up before and how excited we are. And yet they're totally singing it like this, you know, complete like British stoicism as they're singing about being completely (laughs) excited about this stupid horse race. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I made a little Pinterest board a while back and it was like costumes and movies. And, uh, I just, I, I saw some movie and I was like adding a bunch of that on there. And, and then I was asking people, I think in the group, I was like, what other movies should I put on here? And just, just something to pretty to look at. And my friend Josh actually was like, my fair lady. <laughs> he was like, those are my favorites. And so I went and looked it up. So I'd kind of already seen a lot of these dresses before. Yeah. The, the embassy dress is gorgeous too. Of course, it's also, mm-hmm. it's also on Audrey Hepburn and she was just class. Right. So, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's just amazing. I mean, there was a reason they cast Audrey Hepburn in this movie. As much as yeah, as much as it really should have been Julie Andrews, you you understand the business decision to cast Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. Although I think Harrison felt that she was too classy to play the other part. Did you read that? That he was kind of like, I can't really picture her like as you know before she transitions into being. Uh, you know yes I do remember like, and, 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 and go ahead no go ahead oh, I was gonna say uh yeah I, I just and, and I can kind of see what he's saying like I really feel that she's very strong in the uh part after she transitions to an aristocrat but before I feel she struggles a little bit <laughs> with the cockney accent and it's it's just harder to buy I think than it would be maybe if Julie Andrews did it but overall, the transition into being like this gorgeous, high-class lady, I mean, she just already looks like that. Exactly. So it's like not hard to buy that for sure. No, not, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> just so many, so, many, so many fun scenes. I mean, the, yeah. the, I'm trying to remember what was the one. I do enjoy the the pep talk that he gives Eliza right before the rain in Spain. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's the one time in the entire movie you see Higgins treat Eliza like she's a human being. (laughs) Really, to be fair, treat anyone like they're a human being. Because I feel like this is a problem outside of Eliza, too. (laughs) Well, and I think that's funny. very (laughs) unself-aware. Well, I think it's funny because he actually says that in the scene at the end at his mom's house. 
Oh yeah. He's like, um, you know, would you treat a, you know, you know, tr- treat me like a flower girl? And he's like, well, have you ever? Would you see me treat a duchess like a flower girl? Yeah, I treat everyone the same. You know, it's there's this weird. It's not right. But there's a weird... He's almost there. <laughs> he's almost there. But there's this almost weird nobility of, I don't care if you're poor or rich. I'm going to treat you all like you're crap. You know, and it's... it's yeah. It's this weird sense of egalitarianism that he has. That mm-hmm. is just so odd. But it's yeah. kind of we- wickedly lovable at the same time. Like, well, okay, well, <laughs> he's an equal opportunity offender. I also like when he first taught her, you know, after she successfully can speak the way he she, he wants her to um he takes her to that race i'm going back to that race again i'm just really like that scene um but he takes her there and he tells her you know just talk about the weather just talk about uh we say the weather and, and people's health and people's health and then later at the end that pays off when his mom is frustrated with him and says, you know, that basically he talks too much. He needs to keep his mouth shut and maybe he could just focus on the weather. Yes. <laughs> it's like bringing it back like, hmm, he, okay. <laughs> I like that. That was a good payoff. That was a fantastic payoff. Um, I, it, it's just the, the, the movie, the movie has a charm to it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of curious, seeing it for your first time, and the fact that this is a movie from the early '60s, uh, did how well did you feel like it held up as a work of its time? Um, in what way? Just like just to as enjoy a, now, nowadays. Yeah, just just as a movie, it like it's it's a hmm. it's a movie musical. It was you know made in the '60s. I mean, do you feel like it holds up? Because I've listened, you know, you've you've talked about on other podcasts about how. You know, we love movies, but they're kind of dated or this or that. And I'm just kind of curious, like this, I mean, here we are in 2020 and you're seeing it first time ever. And Mm because I'm coming in with all this nostalgia and love for this movie, I I really am just dying to just kind of hear like, what was your, what was your interaction with the film? Huh. Okay. Well, um, you know, I will say you know, a sort of a disclaimer. I, I do think, you know, movies definitely are a product of their time. Uh, but there are some movies that I feel like completely transcend that, right? You know, like, uh, now no, I'm not going to be able to think of any, but, um, uh, you know, Citizen Kane or, you know, movies like that. Um, so I think it kind of depends. And maybe it's more about how I interpret it. But I think that um, this particular movie... I think to really fall in love with a lot of the songs, I feel like I'd have to hear it again. Um, I don't think I gravitated tor- towards it the way I did, like, say, like, you know, Sound of Music or something like that. Okay, yeah. Um, um, so I guess maybe that. that I feel like maybe having a library of more, you know, 60s uh, musicals would help. Um in terms of everything else, I I think it holds it holds up surprisingly well, even just from like a I guess like a social aspect because you know you could be like oh well this movie's about like a man telling a woman like what to wear and how to talk, but I don't really think that's what it's about because it's really like you said a satire on class, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that she 
has, you know, autonomy uh, that's not always included in some of these types of movies. Um, but it, it's made very clear that, you know, she has a mind of her own, that she, uh, the second, I think she's super grateful in the beginning because she's desperate. And then the better off she gets, the more she's like able to kind of step back and think about what she wants for her future. And I think the movie does a good job of answering those questions because she asks them in the movie. Whereas, like, I think a lot of movies like this, maybe that wouldn't happen. It would just be like, look, I gave you a new dress and things are better now. And she's like, okay. <laughs> and then they're like, now I'll marry you. And nowadays you'd be like, is that good? The first guy that helps her out, she marries him? I don't know. But in this sense, it's like she does find herself... And then she lets him know, like, all the ways that she's not happy. And then he apologizes and, you know, things get better. So I think that part of it holds up really well. I'm not sure if that answers your question. No, it's... I just... Like I said, (laughs) I always love... Movies that I have such a nostalgic love for, I find Mm -hmm. very hard to separate that I love this movie. And no one's ever going to tell me that I can't love this movie. So it's so it's oh for sure. So it's always interesting to at least go. Okay, you've actually never seen this movie before. How yeah. was it? You know, it's just you know because yeah. Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also important to realize that in this movie, she's the one who goes to them. Like she mm-hmm. asks originally for this to happen. Like she wants yeah. the lessons because they, they. Now, granted, they place the idea in her head. But she makes the decision to find him and say, I want that for myself. Can you teach me how right. to speak properly? Of course, the satire being the idea that if I just learn to speak properly, suddenly all these doors are going to open. Like, that's kind of Yeah, part. and you find out in the movie, like, a lot of people are basically con artists. Exactly. And they're just skating by, which is, like, kind of what happens sometimes, <laughs> you know. So, you know, interesting social commentary for sure. Yeah. And also, I think, and her big dilemma by the end of it is that she's kind of now stuck between worlds. She's not upper class, but she's had a taste of it. So not only does she not feel comfortable in the lower class anymore, they don't recognize her anymore. Like when she goes back, when she goes back to Covington Garden, you know, after, you know, after, you know, the big fight and, you know, she and Freddie take the take the taxi like all of her friends who sang wouldn't it be loverly with her don't recognize her and that's right it's so heartbreaking and then she sees her dad all dolled up because he's got money now and she's just like (laughs) wow we're both screwed now (laughs) yeah i guess it's like there was a level of comfort in knowing that things were never going to change and then once you get that taste of success it's like well now things are different you can't go back Mm mm-hmm Exactly. So I liked what you said, though, is that Eliza does have agency in this movie. It's like, yeah, almost nothing. I mean, besides the besides the the dark days when she's going through her lessons. I mean, she does what she wants to do. She gets herself kind of into this mess, but she also gets herself out of this mess. Yeah, I mean, she's kind of feisty, and so is uh, uh, Higgins. And so they kind of make sense, you know, like, it's not like he's domineering and she's like a little wallflower you know she stands up for herself she talks back that's what she does (laughs) so you know it's like if he's going to be her you know in a relationship with her it's like you're not going to be in the relationship with someone you just boss around all the time like he jokes about his roommate um you know never 
he has that song where, he, or it's either a song or he's talking where he's like telling him like, you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't do that. Oh no. He's it's like, yeah. No, it's, no, no. it's, it's called a hymn to him. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, uh, he's like, yeah, yeah. But it's like, but you know, ultimately does he want a partner that just says yes to everything he says? Like, I think part of what attracts him to Eliza is the fact that she challenges him, you know? Yes. Cause that's actually, I feel like when, when you look at Higgins attitude towards women, it's it's this it he has this very stereotypical view of all women are like this. A woman is this way, and that annoys me. So <laughs> I would rather just be a bachelor and live by myself than have to put up with this. And it's and it's him kind of realizing, oh wait a minute, they're not all like this worst case scenario I have. Yeah. Envisioned for myself. Yeah. Or I'm also very difficult. <laughs> right. <laughs> I need someone who will put um, up with me. Right. It's like, hmm, you know, being being with a whole person, you know, it's like it's it's you're going to have to take the good with the bad. And he has that, you know, learning curve for him where it's like uh, he's used to everybody doing what he wants. And, and I think they play on that a lot of both him and his roommate are kind of just used to moving about the world and just kind of getting their way like when they try to report that she's missing and they're not really sure how to do that or how to handle it and that that makes for a pretty comedic scene <laughs> i also find it really <laughs> funny that colonel pickering is trying to give a description of eliza and yeah and he can't even describe her and they've spent all this time with her it's like really dude <laughs> and, and higgins is the one going her eyes are brown. Her hair is brown. And it's like, oh. Yeah, it's not even like she looks that unique. It's like brown hair, brown eyes. He really can't remember that. <laughs> it's just funny. Which I also think is very telling that, oh, Higgins was paying attention. Oh, definitely. Because he yeah. knows these details. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no. I think I think that, that it all works pretty well. Okay. I will admit, uh, in general... My favorite part of this movie is the lessons. Like that whole section in <laughs> that whole section in Act One. Oh my God, that's just like in Hartford and Arford, Erford and Hampshire, hurricanes ever <laughs> happen. You know the all those bits with how kind of you to let me come. Everything that leads into the rain in Spain. That is like with my friend. That that's just like this secondhand speak. That, like, you know, you just say and you make jokes and everyone knows what, you know, like, it's it's like this weird secret talk that's like, we all, we all know <laughs> what we're doing here. Yeah. And so the whole... Yeah, that, I those think, are fun scenes. I think about the, especially the practicing her H's and, you know, the the, the paper catching on fire. And just this, yes. <laughs> I don't know. It's just funny because... It really just plays into that whole idea of what is, quote, proper English. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And and I also think it, you know, I guess along that same note, it, it's sort of setting up this idea that uh, Higgins is really rich and he's a professor. OK, but it feels like he's a professor in something that's not very important or necessary. <laughs> like it feels like he's in a sort of almost like pseudoscience kind of 
field of like experimentation where he's got like all these ridiculous contraptions to help you speak properly and it just it's like not not that he's like a quack but he's just kind of it's like this can only happen in a society with affluence <laughs> because right. it's not I weird. have to be so rich <laughs> that basically I can turn my hobby into my job like exactly yeah first world first world <laughs> problems like I yeah. have to be a man of leisure that this is how I can spend day, all my days. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's hilarious. I hope that that... Well, it was a real job, so... I, I know, I know. But, but, the, <laughs> but the way it's depicted in the movie just seems yeah, yeah. so ridiculous that, you know, I I think about that scene with Colonel Pickering where he plays that sound for me. Like, how many vowel sounds do you think you just heard? I'm like, who gives a crap? Or when he's playing, like, the xylophone. <laughs> oh, my God. How I kind like that of you to let me come. It's like, oh, let's put the emphasis on the right syllable. You know, I always think about that <laughs> that joke. Like, we're going to make sure that you even get the right inflection as you're saying the sentence. It's like, oh, oh dear God. <laughs> I'm an English teacher, Dave, and I have to look at that and go, seriously, really? But I, yeah. but I do feel like that my profession also kind of informs my love of this movie because it is. <laughs> It is kind of a love letter to language, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the the original play was most definitely a satire about is language really what divides us? You know, is is that real? Is that really all it takes to trans to to transcend the classes? Is oh, I can speak properly now. Yeah, and it's even multi layered, more more multi layered than that. I think. Probably in America, we don't have, you know, necessarily everybody's got like a good idea of what British history is like. But I feel like that's also kind of a subtle, you know, like he mentions people that are Welsh, you know, and how there's all these different dialects and even sometimes languages over there. And so, you know, there's a history in sort of like conquering all those areas and that plays into class, you know, who's on top, obviously the king's english and so it's kind of all a part of that too oh well he, he flat out insults the irish and the scotch i mean it, right uh, right my... right but i think i feel like do you feel like over here like you i'm sure you know but i feel like a lot of people don't really like they know but they feel like it's more of like a a teasing and they don't they may not know like the history you know oh absolutely as well no or or the yeah. fact that you know people over here would think oh it's an english accent oh dear god no I mean, there are people. Yeah, there's like so many there's, different accents over there. I'm, I'm like, there's London, there's East London, there's West London, there's, I mean, there, you know, there's North England, you know, there, I mean, I remember the whole gag from the first season of the reboot of Doctor Who is, you know, they had Christopher Eccleston. It's like, oh, you sound like you're from the North. You know, it's like, you know, in, in that, in a country that's the size of a, a state in America. <laughs> and yet, there are so many regional dialects that people can can tell you where you're from based on how you yeah. talk. And it becomes a way to sort of, I mean, differentiate from people, but also to discriminate. And so, you know, that sort of becomes a justification. Well, you're not speaking the right English, but it's like, what is the right English? Like you said earlier, it's like, well, there's so many different types and i think this movie you know it's the original was a satire but i think this movie too like sort of celebrates all those differences a little more 
And so that's kind of cool, too. Yeah, I mean, I'm from the South. I don't get made fun of for the way that we talk down here at all. <laughs> never. I've never had anyone make fun of me for saying y'all. No, not at <laughs> all. Never. So I kind of relate a little bit, you know? It's like, oh, we're getting a little yeah. personal here. <laughs> I know. And it is true, right? When, when, when people speak a certain way, assumptions are made Mm -hmm. i mean that's true so it's kind of it's kind of fun to see a movie like this flip that on its head like okay if i suddenly start speaking like this now i get respected but what does that really mean then about the respect that you give other people oh no i cannot tell you how many times people ask me where i'm from and i'm like birmingham and they're like no but where are you originally from (laughs) birmingham oh you don't sound southern at all Oh, what does Southern sound like? Thank you very much. Okay. It's, it, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's so true. Man. Well, I I just kind of find it just wonderful. You know, once again, every I feel like this happens to me so often that it's like, hey, Lisa, let's talk about this movie. I've never seen this movie. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> okay. How does this go? Those. Okay. <laughs> I, oh, I thought you were picking out movies I haven't seen. No, I'm not. I, oh. <laughs> I am literally picking out movies. I mean, the only thing I've ever done is I just try to make sure that every time you invite me back on, which you have graciously done so many times, is <laughs> is that I always try to make sure that at least this time I'm coming in with a different genre. Trust me. When I, ah, when okay. I saw you watching The Big Sleep, I was like, okay, who's the SOB who got that one before I did? <laughs> no, I was just watching it. <laughs> we I, could totally talk about that I, one. I know, but still, that, like, that was my reaction was, okay, who's the SOB? Okay. Who, who got that one? <laughs> who snatched that one from me? But no, I just, I just love it because I, I also love getting to talk. And I know you invite people on so that we can talk about the movies that we love. But there is something there is something so much fun about you getting to experience the movie for the first time because I think oh sure I think, absolutely I think the flip side of I love that movie is the I love that movie will you watch it like it, it's that it's that right. love of sharing that movie with somebody else absolutely I mean I I've, I've said before on the show that I feel like you know a lot of us that really love mo- film can relate to wanting to gush about a movie to someone and they don't seem receptive to it or you know you tell people oh you should watch this is so good and then you start talking about it and their eyes glaze over and they're kind of like yeah I'll check that out but it's like in this case if you tell me about it and you want to talk about it then I'm gonna watch it and I'm gonna research it and I think, you know, it really makes me realize that there are so many films that I probably saw and maybe didn't enjoy the first time. And if I had taken that extra step, you know, either seeing it again or doing a little research about the film, having context about, you know, the time that it was made in and all that good stuff. I mean, it it impacts how you see it. And then also just hearing it from the other person's perspective, you know. If I watch a movie and I'm like, oh, that was fine. But then I talk to someone and they explain why they love it so much. I mean, you'd have to be, I don't know, completely shut off <laughs> to not be open to hearing that. You know what I mean? Oh, so it's kind of, it, I, I like that part of it because it's challenging me and like what I consider to be my favorites or genres that I avoid unless someone picks it, you know. So I, 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 I'm fine with either watching a movie that's brand new or... Or one that I love. One that I love, I mean, the only danger is that the episode will turn into three hours. But um. <laughs> It's not like that has to happen. I'm sorry. That's true. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. 
Um, I, I think but, yeah. I think back to Casino Royale and <laughs> like a podcast almost as long as the movie was. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Sometimes it's kind of funny. Like I'll, I'll talk with somebody and I think that they, you know, I want to make sure I'm never cutting somebody off. And that's why I, I usually edit it out. But a lot of times I ask like, is there another one you want to talk about? Isn't there another one? And it's not like I'm trying to pull details out of people, but I want to make sure that they get to say everything that they had to say and that I'm not like cutting them off or ending it too early. Um, but I've had some people, they'll, they'll film a long one and I invite them back and they go, um, is it okay if this time it's only an hour? <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, it probably backfired and they <laughs> pulled too much out of them. But it's like, yeah, it's like, I think... Uh, it's good to watch films like that that I haven't seen before because you just learn so much new stuff oh, when you do that. Well, and, and the group and the Facebook group is so wonderful. And I swear, it, yeah. I need John Rogers to always give me the skinny on Turner Classic Movies, even though I don't have that <laughs> channel. It still just makes me... I know. I enjoy that. I just, I just love looking and going, oh, those are some good ones. Because I really feel like... I know that there's a age gap between myself and John Rogers and Michael Cross, but I feel like, oh, dude, we would be rocking. So, like, I could just imagine us sitting around a couch with some popcorn and Turner Classic Movies, and we would just have, like, the grandest time ever. Yes, I've gone to see some Turner Classic films with Michael Cross before, so I'm trying to get a little group going locally so that we can start like seeing some of the stuff together more often. But yeah, they're just a blast and a half in real life, just as much as they are on the show. So shout out to those two. Absolutely. <laughs> I just had to say, I, I love the fact that you've started getting uh, more more musicals, like more people coming and talking about musicals, because like Meet Me in St. Louis was so good. You know that was a that was a great episode, and I just I'm I'm glad to contribute to you know continue to you know um, diversify the sets of films that getting that get brought up on the show because you really do have such a wonderful fan base who love all kinds of movies, and it's just yes. it's so fun to celebrate. I I just I love the little community that has been built around your show. All thanks to you. I. Oh, well, a lot of help. A lot of people that, you know, feel the same way and are looking for a community. I felt like, you know, my strong point in starting the show is definitely not like my technical knowledge by any stretch or my experience. But, you know, I think that there's just a need out there for people to connect with other people that love movies. I know I felt that way. And so I just found other people from all ends of the spectrum that, you know, want to be a part of it and I absolutely agree with you like um Kelly is such a treasure I'm like so lucky to know her um and she even introduced me to a group on Facebook that I'm in now that's called uh I think it's like going to the Turner Classic Film Festival because she's been 11 times God, I'm so jealous I know she started like a little community on Facebook and it's grown like to ton of members and they all go to this Turner Classic Film Festival every year and then they take like a giant group picture together and it's just like crazy and I was telling I think I was telling my dad about it and he goes so is everybody like people she knows like her age like like her I'm like oh no it's like every type of person you could imagine she gets into this group and they all go together and the thing that they have in common is 
classic film. So that's awesome. Well, I need them to do something about getting me a Blu-ray and some digital copies of My Fair Lady. Exactly. Because these are a crime against art. Use that pressure. (laughs) I'm like, is there anybody you can talk to you when you go this year? Oh man! Yeah. Well, can I ask you those last couple of questions? Of course, too? you. I. I. I know. You I can't know, forget those. I can't forget the questions. Yeah. So what? What? Uh. You know. Sum it up in a sentence. We've talked about it all this time. But what keeps you coming back to this movie? Why do you think you've seen it so many times? It is delightfully witty, with incredibly catchy songs. I mean, yep. it, 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 like I said, it's a book musical. It's just a good play, even if you strip the songs out. But then you get the bone, like you get the dessert of, oh, and there's some really great songs in it too. And I just, I love musicals like that. That it's just a good story that just happens to have really great songs. That's awesome. I can't wait to dive back in and rewatch it. <laughs> I'm sold. What's your what's your movie pitch? Your elevator pitch? Well, have you seen Pretty Woman? Have you seen She's All That? <laughs> How about you see the movie that they're that they're? I'll, I'll be polite and say homaging without saying ripping off. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, stick with the classics. Um, you know, I think uh, Sarah talked about in the Breakfast at Tiffany's episode that a lot of women her age and younger think of Audrey Hepburn as just like a poster on their wall and they don't know uh, about her, her life. And I think that goes for like a lot of these classic stars and films too is like there's just so much you could be watching so much you could be enjoying and you know do yourself a favor. There's all these movies that come out all the time but there's a ton of stuff that's already out that you haven't seen uh take a moment to go watch it so if you haven't seen this one i mean watch it you know because it's a classic film and you have to go to your, you have to go to your library to obviously it. to find yourself yeah. a copy but you know what that's not going to hurt anybody no go to a library <laughs> we've got some librarians on this podcast too we've had a couple um go get yourself to a library and check it out which is probably what i should have done frankly <laughs> like there's a big library up the street. I could have just gone there. Um, I really should keep that in mind more often, actually. But, yeah, so, I mean, see it because it's good. Um, but, Scott, thank you so much for coming back on. Uh, I always appreciate it. I, I, In fact, I don't want to ask you too often because I'm, like, worried one of these days you're going to be like, Lisa, oh, no oh, more. No, no. You, but- <laughs> you, know, you know how my co-host Tim says I'm just, I, you know, he – he talks about how I whore myself out to all these different podcasts. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> he does say I that. I <laughs> love it. I love it. I know you can you yeah. can never ask me too often to come back on your show because I just I love movies. Yes. I'm so glad you do. And if you guys ever have an opening for another comic book Patreon episode, you know. Oh, I I'm oh, trust me. <laughs> we've, we we've had discussions and it's all been my fault that something hasn't happened so <laughs> how dare you oh are you talking about well i won't Wait, no, say because i i still hope it will happen one. <laughs> i think i know what you mean because we've talked about it before <laughs> but um but scott thank you again for coming i seriously do appreciate you and i mean i always say because it's true that i do i have you guys to thank you and your network um for really helping me find an audience base like you guys uh took a chance believed in me lifted me up um 
I'm going to start singing with my wings. I was like, this is getting really close to that. But, uh, uh, but, you know, I appreciate that. And, and that's, that's really cool. Like, you don't have to do that. But I appreciate that you guys do support, you know, other podcasters and you want to grow that in people. And that's really helped and influenced, you know, my philosophy as well. I want other people to succeed and do better. And, you know, I think we all do better when we uh, learn from each other. So, I, I appreciate you. And then just as a friend, my my Twitter friend, um, <laughs> we've talked a lot um, on and off. So, you know, appreciate you for all you Thank do. Thank you so much. Well, uh, Scott, you have to plan your next episode. you got to shoot me some suggestions so we can talk about that the next time you're on. But until then, I'll see you next time. Bye, Lisa. Bye. Bye.